I've entitled my message this morning as Have You Lost Your Joy? Have you lost your joy? Sometimes when people come into church service, they come with such a long face, you wonder whether they are coming for a worship service or whether they are coming for a funeral service. Sometimes we think in church we should be very serious, you know. Sometimes on the other hand, there's also the other extreme that think that if you are in church, you should be shouting, jumping and then you know, screaming. That's the other extreme, you know. Joy is not that. Joy is not the expression that you put on. Joy is something that is deep down inside. Calmness in the midst of the storm. The assurance that God is there in control. Joy is something that is internal. Yes, it is expressed outside definitely. But just because you have it on the outside, that's no guarantee that it is on the inside. Joy is really an essential element of the Christian life. If you don't have joy, something is really wrong. Happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Jesus. So if a person of the world, he doesn't understand what joy is. He is only thinking of being happy. So when things are going well, he says, I'm happy. When things happen not so good, he doesn't show any happiness. But for us as believers, even in the midst of the most fiery trial, we can still have joy. Joy is different. <laughs> but the question we must ask ourselves this morning, as we are seated here in God's presence, you know, have you reached a point in your life where the joy that you had when you first started walking with the Lord, somewhere along the line it seems to have disappeared. Look back on the time that you responded to Christ and you had the full assurance that God will not let you down. You gave up everything and said, I'm going to follow after the Lord. Come what may. We said that. But over a period of time, things did come your way. It was not what you expected. What happened to your joy? Is the joy still there? Is the joy become more stronger because you have gone through adverse situations in your life? Or, as you are seated here in the presence of God this morning, are you going through the motions because you have to do it? Inside of you, you are screaming. Inside of you, you are grieving. Inside of you, you are upset with God. But externally, you have to come to church, you are here, maybe you put on a smile and you greet one another. But inside, somehow you are upset with God. This morning, I would like to share passages of scripture with you. Learn together. If in case you have lost your joy, get back to the joy that you once had. David, if you remember in Psalm 51 verse 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. When did he lose that joy? When he committed sin with Bathsheba. The psalmist David is not saying, Restore my salvation back to me. He says, Lord, my relationship with you is there, but somehow that vibrancy, that joy is gone. There's no more bright light. There's a lot of gray that came in first, and then it became dark. That's what happens, isn't it, if you are not careful. And when the psalmist says, restore to me, it is a question of, get me back to that original state. And this is the word that is used there in Greek, you know, the tense, it's an imperative. It's a command as it were. Basically what the psalmist is saying, God, I don't want to be in this position. I want to get back to that position which I once had. And that's what Jesus also told to the Ephesian church, isn't it? To say, get back to your first love. Get back to that which you had when you knew that all that mattered to you was only Jesus, was only Jesus. So this morning as we are looking at this passage, first of all, in Psalm 137, the background of this passage is when the children of Israel has been taken captive to Babylon. And when they are in Babylon, those Babylonians taunt them and say, hey, we want you to sing a song to us, you know. It is like, you know, the guys who if you are put into a prison or whatever, they want to make fun of you and say, you're going through a hardship, sing a song, you know. That's what they are doing. 
And then these guys are saying, how can we sing this song? We are in a strange land. We have our harps, you know, but you know, how can we sing this? Even though the Babylonian place, everything was great, if you were to say, from the external. But they knew what mattered was not the external. What mattered was the internal. And that's the reason why God brought them into captivity. They had lost that joy. Even though God's presence was with them day in and day out. They thought they could do whatever they want to do and still go on with life. God says, no, I want to be number one. I want to be the center in your life. If you have not done that, then I'll pull the rug on from under you so that you recognize what you really had. When you don't have it, then you really miss it, isn't it? How often we think, take things for granted. How often we take life for granted. We don't appreciate the life that God gives to us. The breath that God gives to us each day. Only when it is taken away, then we wonder. Maybe, you know, we are upset. Maybe we may have regrets. Maybe we say we missed out. But God is saying, remember. Remember when things are there with you to recognize what is really, really important. So let's look at, first of all, the loss of joy that these children of Israel had. <clears throat> we see in this text in Psalm 137, this passage that we just read a little while back. They have been carried away into Babylonian captivity. In 586 BC, when the Babylonians captured Jerusalem, they carried off the most skilled and intelligent of the people into exile. And when these best guys have been taken, that was the first batch. Then of course later on the whole group, only the poor and the others were left behind. In this first batch that was taken, the cream was taken. And when they are sitting over there, they are feeling homesick. They are feeling homesick. And that is what the psalm is all about. The question we must ask ourselves this morning is, are you homesick for heaven? Because that's what joy is all about, the presence of God. Or have we got so caught up in this world, when the God, Lord calls you home, you say, I don't want to go now. You know? Joy is recognizing God's presence with us. And this is what God wanted to teach them. When things were no longer the way it was, then their eyes were turned to God and they felt homesick. And they said, how can we sing these songs in this strange land? God oftentimes has to take us through some trying situations in life to help us to understand what is really important. How often right from childhood, we are forced into thinking that this life is what it is. This life is everything. Right from when you are a student, you say, study, study, study. Why? If you don't study, you don't get a good job. And then when you get a good job, you must have the best job. And then you say, I must have more money. I must have more position. Why? Because this life is everything. If you don't do it, if you make it, and if you don't make it, loss for you. That is what is ingrained into our minds, that this life is everything. But often, we don't realize this life is not everything, isn't it? So God knocks us on our heads sometimes, puts us flat on our backs sometimes, to help us to understand this important truth. Joy is depends on the Lord. If He's the one who is present with you and in, in you, it doesn't matter what is happening around you. It doesn't matter about the situations around you. You may be strangers in a strange land, but still you can sing the songs of Zion because God is still there with you. Though the fig tree does not blossom, yet I will rejoice. That is the understanding of joy. <coughs> Secondly, we find that they were morning. The scripture tells us by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and we wept. Now I may have known the uh, song made famous by Boney and as a result you must have sung this song 
But look at the content of this particular song. Here they are saying we sat down by the rivers and we wept. And we wept. Why? Even though these were good flowing rivers of Babylon, that was not home. That was not home. This is why they were weeping. They remembered home, they remembered Zion, and then they wept. They saw things in the right perspective, what was earlier, what is now. And they began to see which is the real thing, which is the real thing. And God takes us through situations to help us to recognize what is real. In the world that we live in, which markets its products, which markets, you know, you know, what the world has to offer and say, hey, this is the real thing. God is saying, hey, be careful, that is not the real thing. The real thing is joy in you. And he helps us to understand this. You know. They wept over the death of so many loved ones. They wept over the loss of almost everything they owned. They wept over the destroyed city of Jerusalem and her great temple. They wept over the agony of a forced march from Judea to Babylon. They wept over the cruelty of their captors. They wept over the loss of such a pleasant and a blessed past. They wept about the forced captivity of their present situation. They wept over the bleak nature of their future. And then they wept over their sin that invited such a judgment from God. When things became adverse, they saw things from the right perspective and they wept. This morning, if you have lost your joy, first principle is help us to understand what is reality. And if you have missed out on the reality, sit down and weep before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up. Lord, I'm sorry, I thought this was what life was all about. But I realized that's not what life is all about. There's more to life than what the world has to offer. Thirdly, we find that they hung their harps upon the willows. They hung their harps upon the willows. Now, their harps they would have had with them. And when they went into captivity, they took their harps with them, good for them. Okay? Oftentimes when a guy who is a good guitarist, you know, or a good violinist, you know, an instrument that he can carry with him. When they go to another place, whether it's in the country or outside the country for studies or for work, they carry it along with them, isn't it? You know? So here they've carried their harps with them. But they are seeing all these willows. The willows, these trees were on the banks of the Euphrates. Okay? And there was a great quantity of these trees, the willow trees. But they are sitting down by the rivers. They have the harps in their hands. But they are saying, what song can we sing? Hey, this is not what life is. This is captivity. But, praise God, they do not break those harps. They do not say it's all over. They just hung their harps on the willows. They had hope. They had faith that one day, they'll be able to build out, take down those harps and play again. How often people lose their hope when adverse situations come into their lives and say, it's over, it's over. What's the point of living anymore now? I've lost my job, I've lost my loved one, I lost my property, there's nothing else for me to live. Hey, is that true? If Jesus is there with you, you have everything. So if a person says it's over, no. These guys, positive thing is, they do not break their harps and say, it's over now. We are in Babylon, what's the point of having harps anymore? Let's throw it off into the river. No, they hung their harps with an anticipation that they were definitely going to come out of it. Thirdly, or fourthly, we find that their enemies wanted them to sing. This was the cruel demand of those who had taken them captive. They were the ones who had plundered the people of God and now they wanted them to entertain them. They wanted them to entertain them. It's a taunt, isn't it? It's a taunt. You say, hey, your God is the greatest. <laughs> now look what's happening. You know, your God allowed you to be taken into captivity. Okay, now you, let's see whether you can still thank God for this situation. 
It's a taunt that they were doing. How often, when you have taken your stand for God, and God allows a certain situation to come into your lives, don't the enemy, doesn't the enemy taunt you and say, hey, you trusted in God, what happened? You said God is going to heal my person, my loved one passed away. You trusted God to give you a job, you lost your job. What happened? The enemy will definitely taunt you and say, hey, sing this song, sing this song. Where is God now? But don't give in to those taunts. Don't give in to those taunts. That's the important lesson that we can learn from this particular section when we move to the next passage of scripture. Yes, you may have been in a situation this morning where you say, I have lost my joy. The joy that I had in the beginning of my walk with God is said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But now it seems to be <coughs> that he is slaying you. And then you are wondering, can I still trust him? And to top it, when well-meaning friends sometimes may come and taunt you, maybe some people within the church itself may try to ridicule your continuing to hold on to your faith, or maybe others also will say, where is God now? Where is God now? What do you do at such a time? <coughs> if you notice in Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. In Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3, we read that when God saved us, He has given us a song. He has given us a song. It says, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. When God has saved us, he has put a new song in our mouth. What is the new song? The song that basically says, Joy, Lord, you are with me. And that is the song that we are called to sing in a strange land. Are we living in a strange land today? Yes, isn't it? The people around you may say, hey, foolish people, you're thinking about a life you know, after this life. What guarantee? What hope? You know? This life is everything. You have lost out on this life. If you don't do this this way, you're going to be the loser. But God has given us a song and we must make sure. Don't sit down and weep and cry and say, how can we sing a song? But don't either break off your harps also. There is hope. Take down your harps from the willow tree. There's also a song that says, I've taken my harp down from the willow tree, isn't it? So that's what God wants us to do. This morning, if you have come into this church in a service with in a grief in your heart or worry in your mind in a, or having lost that closeness that you had with God, this morning could be the best time that you can come back to God and say, God, without you, I am nothing, but with you, I have everything. So as a result, I can have the joy in my life. <clears throat> so, how can we get back the joy? Okay? I'm sure none of us wants to be in that place where we have lost our joy, isn't it? You know? I don't know if we were, if you were kids or if you had kids when you were growing up. You know? There was this Salty Christians. You know? There was a music tape that was on. And there was one that spoke about, I've lost my joy. And of course, at the end of it all, they find that the joy was the name of a cat, you know. But that's another story, you know. But losing your joy, you know. There are a lot of people going through life, losing their joy. Just going through life because they have to go through life. There are also people, plenty of people today, who are just taking their lives away because they've lost their joy. What's the purpose of living? But as believers, God has given us a song. So as a result, let's be joyful people. So how can we get back that joy? Three simple things that we need to uh, learn this morning from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. First of all, look back. Look back. Look back on who you are. Look back on what God has done in your life. Look back on the fact that you are now not alone. 
look back on the fact that God has taken you from this position and put you into that position <coughs> looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith I like how the Amplified Bible puts it across it says looking away from all that will distract us we look to Jesus who is the leader and the source of our faith who has been giving us the first incentive for our belief and he's also the finisher bringing it to maturity and perfection the word that is used there for looking unto Jesus first of all speaks about a looking away and then looking towards anything that will distract you take that all away so look back on that starting point in your life in other words get your bearings clear when you are lost your way what happens you try and get a compass and say which is north which is south and we try and find out or if you are in a, in a mall you will have that map which, which will say you are here isn't it have you gone to the rack when you try and get your bearings you are here you know so get that bearing what is that bearing look back look back and recognize who you really are so remember God's sacrifice on your behalf consider the price that God paid for your redemption Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 6 says surely he took our pain and bore our suffering yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he says look to Jesus look back on that day <coughs> when you can say my burdens rolled away pilgrim's progress carrying that big load on his sinner back he comes to that foot of the cross when he recognizes he has taken my sins away so if he has taken your sins away if he has taken your burdens away look back on that time when it happened and don't carry those load again because he is the one who has definitely set you free look unto jesus that is what looking back is all about you know the world looks to different different things for happiness but if you have lost your joy look back on the one who has given you that joy and how it became possible how it became possible isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 onwards 10 says i will greatly rejoice in the lord <coughs> my soul shall be joyful in my god why for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom ducketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels you're looking at where is joy you know <coughs> saying hey get back to a wedding celebration in a wedding celebration there's so much of joy you just get back who are you you are the bride of christ Look at all the clothing, look at all the finery, look at what God has done for you. He has taken off your sackcloth, he has taken off your mourning, he has put his garment of righteousness upon you. So, why should you be mourning? Why should you say, I've lost my joy? Look back on the day where God translated you, transported you from one kingdom into another kingdom and you are now his child. <coughs> Secondly, Rejoice in this salvation that God has given to you. C.S. Lewis mentioned that God can't give us happiness and peace apart from himself because there is no such thing. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because there's no such thing. In other words, true happiness, true peace can be found only in Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us whom having not seen you love in whom though now you see him not yet believing you rejoice with unspeakable joy full of glory 
look back on the day when you came to know Christ, okay, and then you say, I don't see Jesus, you know, fine, no problem. But, you know, he has filled you with that joy. Look forward to that day when your joy is going to be complete. Whom having not seen, you still love. Why do we love Jesus, even though we have not seen him? Because he took our place on the cross, isn't it? We didn't deserve anything of his favor, but he has given everything to us. Joy, if you notice, in the New Testament is always linked up with a spiritual reality. It is not linked up with situations in life. It is linked up with spiritual reality. You are in prison, chained, but you still have joy. Why? Because it's not linked to situations. It links to the spiritual reality of the presence of Christ in us. Happiness is affected by what one has. Joy by what one is. Happiness comes from experience of good as distinct from evil. Joy comes from experience from God apart from good or evil. Happiness comes to things outside which stir feelings within. Joy leaps within from God who is in the heart and soul. Happiness is like the changing surface of the ocean. Joy is like the ocean bed untouched by change of wind or atmosphere. When you are who you are, this is what joy is all about. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones giving us a definition of joy, this is what he says. He says, we do not go to a dictionary to understand the meaning of joy. We go to the New Testament instead. You know, because joy is a quality which belongs to the Christian life in its essence. The world has never seen anyone who knew joy as our Lord Jesus knew it. Yet, he's called as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So joy is something very deep and profound, something that affects our entire personality. And this comes because of who Jesus is. And in the scripture, joy and tough situations always go together. So when you have tough situations, don't say I've lost my joy. In fact, it's that time that joy is even more evident. John chapter 16, verse 20 onwards, this is what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you that you will leap, weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to a child, she remembers her anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you soon again and your heart will rejoice. No one takes your joy away from you. Nothing can separate us from the joy that we have. And joy is also linked with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Now the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Being filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These phrases again come plenty of times in scripture. So if the Holy Spirit of God is living in us, then no matter what happens around us, we are more than conquerors. We have joy in our, in our lives. Situations are bad, no problem. Joy will still be there. If you notice in Acts, we have a beautiful example of this in Acts chapter 5, verses 28 onwards, 28-29. It says, when they were flogged because of their message that they were preaching, you know, when they were on their way from the presence of the council, they were rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They have been punished. But they are not upset about it. They are joyful. That is what true joy is all about. Look at the life of Jesus. It started with joy, it ended with joy. Remember the birth of Jesus, what is the message? Good news of great joy 
to all the people. That is the starting point. And in the last message, you know, the high priestly prayer message before his death on the cross, how does Jesus end that message? He speaks about the fact that he, he is sharing all these things with his disciples so that they would have his joy, his joy. And the Bible also speaks about the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. Why? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Beginning, ending, and in the future, where the Lord Jesus is looking forward for us to meet him. Marriage of the Lamb is going to happen. And Jesus said that's a reality. You know? So look forward to that joy, definitely. I'm sure you're familiar with this uh, uh, coinage, J-O-Y. J stands for Jesus, Y stands for yourself. You know? So if you put yourself last and Jesus first, that is what joy is all about. But if you put yourself first and Jesus last, it doesn't make sense, isn't it? Yaj doesn't make sense, but joy does definitely make sense. Somebody has put it across this way, it says, Where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. And where your treasure is, there is your heart. And where your heart is, that is where you have your joy. That is where you have your joy. So if you have lost your joy, look back. What is your treasure? Treasure is not what the world is giving you. Treasure is what God has given you. And if he has given you himself, you are his son, you are his daughter. Nobody can take that away. So look back on that and say, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm secure in you. And as a result, I choose to be joyful. Secondly, look back. Secondly, look up. Looking unto Jesus, who is set down at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing at the right hand of the Father? He's interceding for us. So you look up. When you're going through troubles in life, look up. Because he's the one who is praying on your behalf. Isn't that a great encouragement? When you go through questions, where is God? God says, I'm very much here. You just cry out to me. I'm just a call away. When you wonder, is God around? He says, I'm very much near to you. Call unto me and I will definitely answer. So he's saying, I'm so close to you. So look up to me constantly as you go through life. When you feel you've lost your joy, just call unto him and he will become very close to you. And what a joy then it is to know that he's just a call away. When you have lost a joy, oftentimes we feel that God is so far away, isn't it? We feel, what is God doing? But God is saying, hey, no, just look up. Just give me a call. I'm very much close to you. The scripture tells us that he is our advocate. He is our advocate. Oftentimes, when we lose our joy, it is also because Satan comes and tries to steal that joy by accusing us of different, different things. It could be he accuses you of sin, which if it is reality, you confess and forsake and move on. But if it is not, then accusation when he comes, he says, hey, you lost your joy, you lost your salvation, you lost everything. God is not concerned about you anymore. This is the time, call unto God and he says, I am your advocate. I am, I am your advocate. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This word advocate is used of Jesus. This word is also used of the Holy Spirit. The word is paraclete, one who comes alongside of you. So on one side, it's a legal term. When Satan comes to accuse, call unto God. Jesus says, hey, he's my child. She is my daughter. I have paid for their sin. So you dare not accuse. And accusation is taken away. Or when you are going through struggles in life and you want somebody to stand by you, support you, and say there is nobody 
Everybody has left me. Don't worry. He is there by your side. That is what Paraclete is all about. And putting it across another way, Paraclete means he is your bodyguard. Times when you are alone, you are feeling, oh, I don't have any security. He is your bodyguard. The Spirit of God is by your side constantly. Will that get back your joy? When you feel you are all alone, he says, call to me. I'm just a call away when accusation comes. Jesus pleads on our behalf. Confess, forgiven. Satan can do nothing more to us. When we feel there's nobody around, he says, call to me. I'm your helper. I'm your comforter. I'm your counselor. These are the words that are used for paraclete. I'm there by your side. I'm your bodyguard. Just the understanding, if you were to say, or the visualization that paraclete is somebody who is there by your side all the time. I'm sure that will definitely lift us out from a position of, I've lost my joy. They say, hey, the joy has definitely come back. So we have an advocate. We have somebody who pleads. We have somebody who's right by our very side, constantly helping us. But that help comes in when we are willing to confess it, when we are willing to ask him, when we are willing to recognize, Lord, if there's joy has been lost because of my sin, and as a result, there's been a gap that has come in, Satan is accusing, yes, I agree with him that I've done wrong, I come to you and ask you for forgiveness. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I'm feeling weak, I feel nobody is around me to help me. Lord, I thank you that I can definitely call on you. We are living in a world with millions of people around us, but still people are feeling so lonely, isn't it? It is not people around that gives you the assurance, it's the assurance inside that there is somebody who cares, somebody who is standing by your side. And the Spirit of God, Paraclete, is one who can definitely give us that support. <coughs> it is when we listen to the lies of Satan that nobody cares, you are all alone, God has abandoned you, that's when we can lose our joy. But we need to get back to him and ask him to restore that joy back to us. Thirdly, we look back, we look up, but we also look ahead. We look ahead. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author, he is also the finisher of our faith. So you look ahead. Okay? Life is not over. Yes, you feel I've lost my job, but it's not over. Till God calls it's over. So press on ahead. Look ahead. Fixing your eyes. Anything that is distracting you, taking off. Take it off. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And that's what the emphasis is, you know. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on the goal. I'm sure you're familiar with this illustration in 1954. A memorable event occurred at the Empire Games in Vancouver where all the eyes of the world were fixed on a person by the name of Roger Bannister and John Landy, the two fastest you know, runners in the world at that time. It was being called as the Miracle Mile as the world was waiting to see the first under four-minute mile race. And it lived up to expectations as Landy quickly took the lead in the first lap but then he made a mistake from which he could never recover. He took a moment to look over his left shoulder to see where Roger Bannister was. And in that moment, Bannister shot past him and dashed ahead to beat Landy by five yards and uh, run this sub four minute mile race. Landy's fatal lapse of concentration was a picture of what the writer to the Hebrew says look unto Jesus. Don't look around, don't look behind, don't look at somebody else. Yeah. That cost him his race. That's what Jesus is saying, look into the future. Don't look at your situation. Oftentimes when people ask you, how are you doing? Under the circumstances, this happening, that's happening, you know, and we put all the words, hey, no, don't look at the circumstance. Look ahead, look ahead. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
that is what will give you your joy. You fix your eyes on circumstances, definitely you lose all the joy that remains also inside of you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm sure also your familiar horses, they put blinkers on the side so that they can run the race straight. God doesn't say put blinkers so that he can see, but fix your eyes. Fix it on him so that you can definitely be on the right track. <coughs> Robert Murray McShane, who died at the age of 30, you know, this is what he writes. He says, for every one look at your problems, your weaknesses, your failures, take 10 looks at Jesus. For every one look at your problems, your weakness, your failures, take 10 looks at Jesus. So this morning he came into church, looking at your problems, looking at your situations, having lost your joy. Let me encourage you, take 10 looks at Jesus this morning, that your joy will get back to you. That's what Paul says, isn't it? Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting all that has gone on behind me. All the situations that have happened in my life, good and bad. I press on. I press on. That is what God has called us to. Remember, the best is still to come in your life. It is with that philosophy that we should live our lives. Not to think it is over. Oftentimes when people get into retirement, they say, Oh, sab khatam everything is over now, you know. No, it's not over. The best years of your life is still to come. The retirement years are the best years of your life in service to God. Don't think, hey, those years are relaxing times. I'll take a cruise all over and enjoy life. No, God did not give you your retirement to enjoy. God gave you your retirement. God gave you life to make use of it. Make the best use of it for His glory. Ask God, God, the years that you give me here or not, let it be for your glory. Look forward for that. And God will definitely make it the best years of your life. Charles Spurgeon discusses this looking unto Jesus in these couple of points. First of all, he says, look to Jesus as the author of faith. As the author of faith. In a race, you have the person who gives the gunshot. You have to hear that. You know? If you don't hear that and you take off before the gunshot comes, then you have lost the race, isn't it? So listen to his voice. He is the author. So if you have to run the race of life, let it start with him. Let it be according to what he is calling you to do. Don't run your race and say, God, where are you? No, no. Wait for God's voice, God's call, and then you start out. Secondly, look to Jesus as the finisher of your faith. As the finisher of your faith. Because it is not the starting that is important. It is the ending that is important, isn't it? You know, if you are running a marathon, you know, I think today you know, they are having the you know, marathon race. If halfway through you say, oh, I finished the race. <laughs> it was a marathon. You are supposed to complete it till the end. Finish the race. And Jesus is the one who starts it. Jesus is the one who is also going to finish it. So don't say it is over till he says it is over. So let Jesus be the finisher of your faith as well. And right through, when you are, have to finish the race, you have to keep your eyes on what? On the goal, right? On the finishing line. And here, the author is saying, look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Yes, problems will come in your life. Don't fix your eyes on the problems. Less, yes, you may be better than somebody, worse than somebody, don't look at that. But look at Jesus. As you look at Jesus, then joy will get back into your life. Consider Jesus as the pattern of your faith. As the pattern of your faith. What is Jesus' pattern? What is that passage? Says? Who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. The joy of what was going to be accomplished by his death on the cross, salvation to the whole world. That was the joy that Jesus was looking forward for. And looking at the joy that was set, he says, I'm going to be willing to go through any suffering. Because if this is going to benefit the whole world, I'm willing to die. 
That's the pattern that Jesus has set. And he says, hey, follow in my pattern. Look at the joy that beholds when we see him face to face. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Who for the joy that is set before you. Endure what you are going through. Because through that, that is what God is going to accomplish. Set before you, Jesus, as the goal of your faith. As you fix your eyes on Jesus, what will happen is slowly, moment by moment, your life and mine will be changed into his very likeness and image. Because that is what Jesus is working on in our lives. And when we finally see him face to face in the twinkling of an eye, the scripture tells us we will definitely be changed into his likeness. So, if you are going through problems, don't look at the problems. But everyone look at the problem. Take 10 looks at Jesus. So if, don't put your mind on all the problems that you are going through right now. Look at Jesus, what he has done for you. Coriton Bloom, uh, Boom said, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. Be at rest. So claim the promises of God. Jesus has come to me, all ye who are labor and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. That's God's call to us this morning. If you are heavy laden with your worries and cares and situations, He says, come to me. I am there to carry it for you. Claim His promises and depend on Him. So when God is saying, you don't have to be sorrowful. You can still be joyful in the midst of your sorrow. You can still say, it's not a question of how can I sing this song? No, you can sing this song. Because joy is not depending on situations. Joy is depending on who Jesus is. Let me conclude with a couple of simple practical points on how we can maximize our joy. How we can maximize our joy. Number one. Repentance brings joy. Repentance brings joy. There is joy in heaven, joy on earth over one sinner that repents. So when we have repented of our sin, if sin has robbed us of our joy, repent. That's as simple as it. And say, Lord, I'm sorry I messed up. You know? God gives you a clean slate and that brings you joy. Secondly, the hope of future glory, the hope of future glory brings joy. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter says, hey, you're going through sufferings? No problem. Sufferings now, glory later. Cross now crown later. So that's the hope that God has given to us. Okay? Death, resurrection. You say, I want resurrection, but I don't want to die. <laughs> no, it's not possible. Okay? So the hope of the future glory helps us to go through with life. Thirdly, God's word brings joy to us. As we read and obey his word, John 15, 11 says, I've told you this, so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. The more we understand scripture, the more we understand the truths of scripture, then the lies of the devil can easily be pointed out, isn't it? If you don't know scripture and Satan comes and says, hey, this is this, this is this, this is this, it can get you depressed. But when you know scripture, then you can combat the strategies of the evil one. God's word brings us joy. Number four, prayer brings us joy. Prayer brings us joy. John chapter 16 verse 24 says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. And your joy will be complete. Your joy will be complete. Jesus said, I am just a call away. You never called me. Just call. Call unto me. And I will answer you. And when he answers, what happens? That's a joy, isn't it? When he said, Lord, I had nobody to help me, Lord, but you stood by me and strengthened me. That's what Paul writes, okay? There was nobody around, but Lord, you stood by me and strengthened me. That gives you joy, isn't it? 
the world may forsake you. This Jesus himself says, even your own parents may forsake you and say, I don't love you anymore. But God's love never ceases. A call unto him. Prayer brings joy. Fifthly, the presence and fellowship of believers brings joy. When we come together in fellowship and encourage one another, that builds up our joy. If you have lost our joy and you are sitting at home and saying, I've lost my joy, I've lost my joy, you won't find it. But come together with people who are joyful, then that joy is ignited. That's the purpose. That's why the writer of the Hebrew says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But when you come together, you can encourage one another. Number six, converts brings joy. Converts brings joy. When you share Christ with others, when you help someone else, that brings you joy. To say, my life was useful to someone else. When you lose your joy, when you say, my life is useless. You know, what can happen through my life? But when you have shared Christ, when you have shared God's love, somebody else has been benefited. He says, hey, there's value to my life. There's purpose to my life. So converts brings joy. Seventh, hearing that those whom you have mentored and discipled are walking in the truth brings joy. This is especially for Christian ministers who have been in ministry for a long time and they have not seen much fruit or they go through situations in life when they wonder was it really worth it to give all my life for Christian work when I could have done something else. When you see people continuing on in the faith, that gives you real joy. Eighthly, giving brings joy. Giving brings joy. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2 says, in the midst of a very severe trouble, trial, they are overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in, grace, in rich generosity. They were facing severe trial, but they had overflowing joy. Overflowing. Try it out. You know. If you are feeling, where's the joy? Give to somebody and when they see a smile on their face, and that will give you joy to you. Giving to others brings joy into your life. And finally, number eight, fellowship with the Father and the Son brings joy. In other words, when we confess our sins before God and we get that fellowship back, the fellowship that we lost, the wall that came in between us because of sin, when that wall is removed, fellowship is restored, there is a joy in your heart there's a spring in your step and you know that Jesus never, never fails. So this morning, if you have come to the church with different things that you have gone through, weight on your shoulders, I hope you don't go back from this place carrying the same weight. If you have problems, don't look at the problems. One problem, take ten looks at Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher. Look back on what Christ has done for you. Look up on what he is doing for you now. Look forward to what he is willing to do in your life. And as you yield yourself to God, your life will be different. Each day will be a life full of joy. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.